the summer of football. All you can ask for is another opportunity to play this game. It burns in me. On ESPN 1000. We don't know how many we got. I don't know how many I got. Make it count, boys. Mahomes flushed out again. Turning the corner. Fires downfield. Caught. Touchdown. Only Mahomes. You throw the score. You run to win. Here's Saquon Barkley. And he's off to the races. The 30. The 20. The summer of football at eight. Here's a quick throw to Miller. Good throw. Touchdown. Fake to Armstrong. Run. Book five. Book up to the end zone. Touchdown. Burrow's got time. Launching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown. Terrence Marshall. The summer of football with Jonathan Hood. Yeah. That's my dog. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. It is the summer of football with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Every night we give you something football, fantasy, college, NFL. Tonight we land on the National Football League as we talk to a friend of the program, Stacey Bales from the NFL Network. She joins me right here for the summer of football right here on ESPN 1000. Stacey, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, it's good to hear your voice. I mean, I you know I love coming on your show, and um, it's it's been a long journey, right, in this pandemic. Yeah. And uh, you and I chatted before we jumped on here. I'm, I'm glad you're doing okay, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. I, we're we're I think we're both hanging in there, but it, everything is day to day, right, week to week. Um, I think we were living that way before, Stacy, but it's uh, obviously a lot different now uh, that we're what we're going through. It is. I think the realization has set in that we're in this for the long haul. And, uh, you know, I'm an internal optimist. I do think faithfully things will change. I think we were on a couple months, a month ago. I don't know when it was last, but, and that was sort of my feeling then. And here we are five months later in this pandemic and training camps upon us. And I happen to cover football and still really what you said, it's day to day changing. Um, as far as you know, what the NFLPA and the NFL have come to agreement on, and then you have the whole media landscape, which I'm a part of, and how we're going to navigate that. But you know, I think there's been encouragement when I see some baseball happening, regardless of fans. And I know the bubble's going on with the, the Hoopers, so um, that there's there's parts of that that are so encouraging because sports galvanize us as a society, and I know that we've all really missed them. At least I have in a big way. I'll ask you this, and I don't know if anyone's asked you this. Um, so as a player, would you play during this pandemic? Would you play with your teammates? Because this is a big question for all athletes. Should I stay uh, with my family uh, or should I go and play with my teammates? So if you were faced with that, what would you do? It's a really great question. I mean, for me, when I was a player at the professional level, I was single, alone, no children. So I didn't have to weigh the effects, the potential effects on having a family, such as a Russell Wilson, whose wife is pregnant um, in the National Football League. You, you know, if you have kids and you have, you know, maybe you have an elderly person that lives with you or near you that you see frequently. Those are considerations. For me as a player, I didn't necessarily have those to that effect. So I would have played because when you're that age, when, you know, a 20 something year old athlete at the professional level, you're, you are in just this undeniably fantastic shape. 
and you almost feel invincible. And um, it seems as though with this virus, healthier people for the most part, God bless those that you know haven't been able to defend it as well, uh, for the most part, it seems that young, healthy individuals, especially professional athletes, um, are equipped to handle a lot of different things in their body. So um, not saying that would be the answer, but for me, I would play. Stacey Dales from the NFL Network with us on the Summer of Football on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So among some of the stories that we've been following from the NFL and NFL.com, so zero preseason games being negotiated uh, on both sides here. Um, I just think that there are pros and cons for not playing any preseason games. Of course, fans don't want them. Uh, some players think that four is too much. What do you think of zero for preseason games? Well, what I think of it is it's very difficult to formulate a roster when you have zero preseason games. What what preseason affords teams? It's, I mean, it's obvious, and it's you know transparent. It, it affords you to really narrow down your 53-man roster. And the inability to do that, you're taking risks and chances in a billion-dollar industry with your roster. So, unfortunately, for those who are on the bubble of that or on the outside looking in to a slight degree, you might not make a team. But more importantly for these teams, are you taking the 53-man roster that gives you the best chance to win? So without being able to see that in a competitive forum, and I don't even think we're not obviously going to see – teams practicing against or with teams, which has been historically something that's happened, where you'll have, for instance, the Patriots at the Lions last year in training camp when I was there mm-hmm. uh, for, a couple days of, for a couple days of practice. We're not having that, obviously. We don't even know how practice is going to look. So I think for coaches, it in, enhances the challenge of creating that roster dynamic. And then the injuries. Uh, players have talked about soft tissue injuries. You know, even with preseason games, you're out you're able to get out there and go through your normal routine, warming up. We don't know how um, condensed practices are going to look for these players. So my concern for them is maybe you don't know your roster fully heading into a regular season, and maybe you're, you're going to see some injuries that you may have not seen regularly. All right, I'm going to take a step further. All right, so for <laughs> one, to me, Stacy, there's going to be issues with young players that need that extra time on the field. If you have zero preseason games, you're trying to, as you mentioned, evaluate players, especially rookies. And if you have them in starting positions like the Bears will have with Jalen Johnson uh, in the secondary, that is, that's going to be an issue. You just have to deal with it if the bell rings and there's no preseason games. And the other thing, and I think it's time for you and I to start a rumor here, I think, <laughs> I think that because of limited playing time and practice time, and I, I don't know, I'm just going to roll the dice and say maybe six to eight practices if the season starts on time. Well, the, the players that are acclimated to the system will have the advantage to be able to start. Trubisky starts game one for the Bears over Foles because of this, I believe. I agree with you. I do believe that. And I, I don't just believe that because of the times we're in. I believe it because of his commitment to his work ethic this offseason. And we all know he's been a hard worker. But, uh, you know, he's been doing some things that – uh, he's never done before. He has been working with the Throw It Deep Quarterback Academy uh, with Jeff Christensen and his son Jake, who have worked with the likes of Patrick Mahomes, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, um, Ryan Tannehill, and I, there are other players that um, on that list that have a young potential in this league and have already fared very well. So uh, he's made a commitment to that, and I've heard good things in, in terms of that. But uh, I agree with you. 
the the argument would be, of course, that Nick Foles, you know, the incoming quarterback here with Super Bowl MVP uh, resume, he knows this offense as well as anybody, too. The difference is he doesn't know the personnel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mitch knows the personnel. He knows what Tariq Cohen likes and where he likes the football. Um, He's got a new tight end and a young tight end in Cole Komet, the rookie I can't wait to see. But Allen Robinson and Mitch have a good relationship. So you have, you know, those are just a couple of examples. So I agree with you on that front. Um, And then the the other part of it, I believe, was um, refresh me here. The, The young players. Oh, yeah, the young players. Um, what's really interesting I found with this draft, because the draft happened amid really the onset of the pandemic. The pandemic happens in March. The draft happens in April, right? So as a, as a staff in you know the, the pro football scouting department, you really have to look at your draft board and now choose young players that are going you believe are going to make a day one impact. And people could say, well, that's always the case. Well, you really have to be extraordinary in your choices, especially when you're looking at a first, second, third rounder, because those are going to be impact players. Have they played that system in college? Um, you know, do they have some some elements to their craft that they can step in and understand, okay, Chuck Pagano likes to do things a certain way, and these are the ways. Uh, I think Jalen Johnson has done some things in, in the, at the collegiate level that the Bears like. Um, that fit their scheme and their style. You know, Cole Komet is the type of tight end Matt Nagy has wanted and he needs to use in his system because it is a system that is so built around tight ends. Um, So I've looked at a lot of teams through this draft process and the players that they've drafted, Jeff Okuda, the, the, you know, first rounder for the Detroit Lions, you know, he is a guy that can play in that system right away and he's been obviously at Ohio State extremely versatile in some of the things he's done in coverage. So, um, if teams have those types of guys, great. But when you deep further into that roster, I agree with you, Jonathan, that now you're looking at uh, maybe it's going to take this guy at least this season to learn what we're going to do. Stacy Dales from the NFL Network with Jonathan Hood as we talk uh, the NFL right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. So. From twelve and four to eight and eight, you know how Bears fans feel, Stacy. It's just, it's not a make or break season, but it's quite the season to evaluate. And again, under these on really unusual circumstances, where more than likely we're not going to get a full stadium of Soldier Field, uh, Bears fans, and it's just going to be different. Still, the players are who they are, and so you know, Bears fans want to know: Will you see a dynamic offense? Will we get even closer to what Nagy wants offensively, knowing what Trubisky was? and could be, and then the weapons around him, that's the big question on the table. How do you see it? Um, there is absolutely zero question that the focus for this franchise this offseason for Ryan Pace and company was to address this offense. I mean, we know that the defense even was good last year. I mean, top 10 scoring defense, but um, they were good the year before. They they want to get back to the year where they had, they basically led the National Football League in turnovers um, mm-hmm. but last year. For, for Vic Fangio as coordinator. I know Chuck Pagano wants to let his players play freely this year. The defense is there. Akeem Hicks is going to be healthy. Danny Trevathan is going to be healthy. Roquan Smith is going to be healthy. At least that's what I've been told heading into training camp, if we have training camp, uh, which we, we will in some fashion. Um, those three players right there were all injured significantly last season. And 
that affects Akeem Hicks is one of the greatest leaders I've I've seen in the in the NFL. And so with those three back, I think this defense gets right back to where it was in 2018. The offense is the focus, and I think they've put together a roster that they believe, you know, not only with their players now, but with their coaches that will make a difference. You know, Bill Lazor, the offensive coordinator, um, John Filippo, the quarterback's coach, Ragone moves to sort of, the, you know, pass game coordinator. Um, they have really retooled this thing. New offensive line coach, new tight ends coach. And all of those guys have some sort of history with Matt Nagy. And so you bring in some fresh ideas, but some similar ideas. And now you've added Cole Komet, who I think is going to just be, you know, critical for this group this season. Let's get Tariq Cohen, though, if you're a Bears fan, back to what he did in 2018. He was so good at catching the ball in space and then yards after catch. Um, He had an just astronomical year in terms of his production and the way they used them. That dove off the deep end, I would say, last year. Mm-hmm. So getting him back to, to doing what he can, um, a, an emphasis across the board at the tight end position, and then we'll see if that offensive line is healthy. Um, and, and on you go to the receivers, Ted Ginn adds some speed. Cordero Patterson, I think, is a player they want to use in more different ways because of his versatility. And to me, Allen Robinson just hands down one of the best receivers in the game and doesn't always get the glory of that. Um, if they can put together this coaching staff, which has been tough in this virtual offseason, and kind of blend that with what they, want, what they did in 2018, um, there's no question they can be back to, you know, a 12 and whatever, 12 and 14, and, you know, get back to the playoff. Hey, did you see Mike Zimmer sign an extension with the Vikings? He's 64 years old. He's He's been the duck blind, I think, probably this whole offseason. And uh, he's going to be with the Vikings for a few more years. He's right up there with Dennis Green and Bud Grant as some of the uh, you know <laughs> the best head coaches in the history of the Vikings. That's good for him. Yeah. I mean, so what Mike Zimmer brings is he brings um, consistency. He brings a, a certain authority to the locker room. But, he's you know, he has a way of handing it to the, to the players. Um, I I like the commitment by Rick Spielman, and um, I think that, you know, they've also had some changes um, around their roster. I mean, they're very young defensively this year. We're going to see a defense that looks entirely different. I think that excites a guy like Mike Zimmer, who's, you know, now he's got back to having the kind of defense you have to build for three or four years, and that's, you know, that's his bread and butter. So, um, you know, as far as as that move for the Vikings, I, I believe, you know, that was a no-brainer for them. I, I saw someone ask me uh, how much does uh, Aaron Rodgers parting with Danica Patrick uh, affect him this season. I said nothing affects Aaron Rodgers. His face always looks the same, so I don't think – I think that it will be the same Aaron Rodgers that we've always seen. Yeah, I'm not – I always get a kick out of how, you know, <laughs> we try to get into the mind of Aaron because he's, he thinks at just a different level. He's extremely introspective anytime I've covered him extremely cerebral, really smart. Um, I don't, I don't think that affects him at all. No, I think he'll be, I think he'll be just fine. But um, you know, it's funny when you talk to Packers fans and Packers media about that team, Stacy, it's always, yeah, there's a ceiling on their success. And it is true. Watching green Bay against San Francisco twice last year, but San Francisco shows you how the offense is supposed to work. A dynamic tight end, a productive quarterback, running game was solid. Offensive line was great for Garoppolo. And it seems like 
Green Bay was wasn't even in the game and both of those games it looked like night and day and I'm sure that that's where Green Bay wants to be and everyone wants to be closer to in the NFC something as productive as we saw the, from the 49ers. Yeah, and the, and the deficit there, Jonathan, was was the run defense, and every one of their losses, well, for, you know, for the most part, um, they struggled um, when they couldn't stop the run, and that was the case against San Francisco. So I'll, I'll be very interested to see because they they really, in terms of what they added defensively, it was it was Christian Kirksey, who they believe is an upgrade over Blake Martinez, who you know. <laughs> Who led them in ta- who's led them in tackles for the past couple of years, just an outstanding linebacker. And so they think he's going to be an upgrade. And then they're going to ask some of their second-year players or third-year players um, to step up and be different and make a difference. So, you know, when you see a guy like Rashawn Gary, who was a first-rounder last year, and Darnell Savage, how does that game make the jump to the next level? Um, and and that'll, that'll be, you know, for me, what I, when I look at this team, you know, can they in the big games in those big moments? How do they stop the run? Because that was their deficit um, last season. Lastly, and I appreciate your time. Uh, the NFL uh, has said that fans are permitted to attend games in 2020, but they're required to wear masks amid the COVID-19 pandemic. I, you know, all the edicts and everything that's coming down from the NFL. I'm sure it's not over, Stacey. We got to find out more information. It's trickling in as we get closer to the season, but that is. That's a, a, a big a big one uh, for fans to wear masks. It seems obvious to me. It'll be interesting to see um, what that looks like in the stands and how many fans will be permitted across the, the country. So, yeah, I mean, I know that the opinions go back and forth on wearing a mask. I personally wear a mask, and I do mm-hmm. it out of immense respect for others. Um, there's, a, there's a peace of mind that comes during this pandemic, and the, the – the fear of it and the fear of coronavirus, there's just a peace of mind it gives others to say you're committed to to sort of availing this thing and mitigating it. Um, I think if it allows us to watch football, wear a damn mask, honestly. Um, it's, it's not that difficult. If you, if you get a beer at a game, pull your mask up, be socially distanced, take a swig of it, and pull your mask back down. It's, it's really not that difficult if you want to see football. And if, it's, if it, that is what it takes, in order to mitigate it, because at the end of the day, the NFLPA would say this glaringly, player safety, in the NFL too, player safety is and has been of the utmost importance. And if you want to see these players play, and they want to play, I know that, then this one little thing might be the difference. And guess what? Maybe if we all do this for the next few months, and maybe we you know, dip into our season, and now we're into you know, late October, November, maybe that vaccine does come. I started talking to you. I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, we're in final stages with this vaccine. I don't know if it's coming, but I'm praying it does. And let's say something great happens in November and we can see full stadiums come back because we all did the right thing. Because, by the way, reporters are going to be uh, have a different um, expectation as well. We will not be allowed on the field. We will be put into the second, second rows, um, you know, after the first 20 seats with our camera crews. It'll be very different. It's going to be different for us, and therefore it's going to be different for fans. Stacy, I'm glad you spent some time with us. Yeah, it is going to be different for all of us, but you know, we it's very likely that we'll see football again in the NFL, so that'll be interesting to watch uh, how they navigate all through this. But if we all stay safe and do things the right way, we can get what we want, and that's football, right? 
100%, Jonathan. You and I want it. I know there's a bunch of people that want it. Um, and, boy, if we saw some football out there and how that would impact people's just, ah, man, it, people's just daily experience um, to, to wait for that Sunday game at 1 o'clock Eastern time, the joy that would come back to people to me far outweighs not wearing a mask and doing all those proper um, behaviors that will protect people in the long run. Stacy, I appreciate your time. Let's talk again uh, closer to the season opening. I can't wait. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Stacy Dales from the NFL Network with us for the Summer of Football. Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN Chicago. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app, reminding you that tomorrow we'll have Major League Baseball here on ESPN 1000, the home for Major League Baseball, ESPN 1000. We will have... The opening night festivities uh, for Major League Baseball. So no Under the Hood tomorrow, but definitely back with you Friday for the baseball show at 6, followed by Under the Hood at 8 o'clock on Friday. All right, more baseball conversation with Pedro Gomez. The season's here. It starts tomorrow. I'm going to hear from Pedro Gomez, MLB uh, insider for ESPN. We'll get his thoughts on what we can expect from the baseball season that's next right here on UTH. What do you got, man? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. Yes, baseball season's right around the corner, and Jeff Dickerson and I got a chance to talk to Pedro Gomez uh, a few days ago, right here on ESPN 1000, uh, and we asked him a few questions about the upcoming season, including the story about the Blue Jays. Just, you know, Tyler, this is an unusual story, because this goes back to last weekend, where the the Canadian government, a, a, a section of the Canadian government, decided that the Toronto Blue Jays cannot play uh, in their own home stadium. They cannot play at all in the country of Canada. I mean, from the Yukon Territories to Newfoundland to, uh, you know, to Quebec, you know, uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, they can't play anywhere in the, in the country of Canada um, because of COVID-19, because of uh, the opposing teams coming into the country, because, of course, they are American. But, I mean, my whole point is that, yes, you do have a bunch of hockey players in Edmonton. And was it Edmonton and Toronto? Uh, Edmonton and... I know it's Western Canada and Eastern Canada. That sounds I think correct. Toronto. Yeah, I, I believe mean, you're yeah. correct. That I would make sense, too. Hockey Hall of Fame, all that stuff. I think that's right. Um, but it, nonetheless, point is, is that it's... like I understand that these hockey players are in a bubble, so you can be able to handle it better. But the testing is the testing. Once they come into the country, 
you can test and see if they have COVID-19 or not. Talking about if it's, the, if it's the Yankees, Blue Jays, right? Yankees come into Toronto, to Rogers Center. Okay, before they step on the field, you're going to test them. You're going to test them at the hotel. You're going to test them when they get to the ballpark. And so I don't think that that's such a, a big headache. But for uh, a section of the Canadian par- Parliament, they're like, no. So that means the Blue Jays can't play. So the story on Saturday was, well, maybe they'll play in Buffalo, Right. Maybe they play in Buffalo because Buffalo and Toronto are somewhat close. And so I guess Buffalo is out because of the lights issue in that minor league ballpark. Yeah, I think so. Buffalo's out. It looks like Pittsburgh's out now because Pennsylvania doesn't want them coming in. Can I offer you a suggestion? Yes, sir. Feel the dreams. Oh, uh, what's what's the uh, what's the arc there for COVID nineteen? I don't How's know. It going there, I don't know. But I think Iowa is one of those. Okay, now I just I I found a loophole in in this system here. Iowa is one of the quarantine states for New York. Mm. I just thought of that. So I don't know if they're getting around that somehow because you'd imagine actually a lot of those. I mean, you think about the Rays having to go up to New York. They're going to have to have that quarantine period too. But I don't know. We'll see. Oh, I think I think feel the dreams. Might as well use it. Well, we talked to bus, we talked to um, Pedro Gomez on Saturday uh, about the Blue Jays and whether or not um, the Blue Jays players could opt out because of a new location. Well, I think that's absolutely uh, something that the Blue Jays have to be thinking about at this point. That they may have players who say, uh, "Look, I'm not going to go. I'm, if, if all this is, if it's this dicey, uh, I, I may not." I may not feel comfortable doing this. So I, I would think you may look, the Blue Jays have a mostly young roster and those are the type of players that probably will not opt out, but it wouldn't surprise me if one or two of the older guys say, I'm not doing this. It's just, it's not worth it. Pedro Gomez is our guest. Pedro, a 60 game season. Give us an idea. 60 games in a major league baseball season. What are the challenges aside from obviously if players test positive, of course, that's something you you know you can't control, and and, and perhaps that's going to happen. But what are some of the baseball related challenges that these teams are going to face trying to fit this all into sixty games? Uh, you know, the the biggest things are going to be trying. Obviously, you have to stay on the field. Um, you know, you get three, four guys that test positive, and they have to leave your team, and they're starters or they're uh, you know part of your rotation or your your closer, whatever, that's going to affect you, no doubt about it. So let's say you can stay on the field. I think you've got to try to avoid any type of losing streaks because, you know, a six-game losing streak during a 162-game season, it, it's tough, but it's not, it's, it's not going to swallow your season. But a six-game losing streak now is the equivalent of about a 19-game losing streak during a regular season. So that's going to be – or a 17-game losing streak. That's going to be something that is going to be very, very difficult to overcome, even something as minuscule as a six-game losing streak. I think at the end it's going to be, you know, the last two weeks, three weeks of the season, you're going to have so many clubs that are vying for a postseason bid, and they're just going to give it everything they have to try to get in, especially clubs that don't normally play – games that mean anything in the month of September, at least in recent times. Um, And that's going to make it really difficult because a lot of times, you know, by the time you get to September, 10 clubs make the playoffs, but there might be 13 or 14 that are really within a chance of reaching the postseason, meaning you're playing a lot of 
clubs that don't have a lot to play for. But in this case, it's going to be the complete opposite. Everyone you play is going to think that they're in it, and that's, that's a different mindset for a lot of clubs in the month of September. Pedro, baseball really needed a win, and relatively when we see the last round of testing, when you have 0.05% positive tests for coronavirus amongst ball clubs in the last round of testing, that's a, that's a real positive and a real win for baseball. What, how do you think that Rob Manfred has handled this now that the players are back with their teams? I, you know, I think it's still a juggling act. I, that's a great percentage, obviously. There's no doubt that they, for the most part, have had a really good percentage, low percentage of players and staff test positive. Keeping that up is going to be the issue because, again, these players are not in a bubble. They are going home. They're being exposed when they go to fill up their gas tank, whatever it is, go to the, the grocery store. It, you know, there's still some exposure there. That's going to be the key issue, and that's where I don't know that Manfred can do anything. <laughs> you know, players are going to still live somewhat of their life, even if they're being incredibly cautious. You can't put yourself inside of a plastic bubble and and just you know say nothing's going to touch me because that's not going to be the case. And uh, you don't know what your teammates, your staff the people on the staff, what they're doing when they're away from the stadium. So there's, there's still some obstacles, some hoops to jump through in order for this all to happen. I know that, look, the starting gate is here. The starting gate is on Thursday for those first two games, Friday for everyone. So it looks like at this stage we will get to the starting gate. The finish line is going to be the bigger question. Can they get to the finish line? Talking about Pedro Gomez, if they do finish it out, Pedro, as someone that's been around the game as long as you have been around the game, how will you view this year? I mean, you know, with this, in terms of like the historical significance of it, what it means like long term, statistics. How do you wrap your head around a sixty-game season? I think it's just something that we will mention down the road. That oh yeah, the twenty twenty season that was the sixty-game season. It's but I don't know that it'll be at the forefront. When you think about the 1981 Dodgers winning the World Series with that huge break in the middle during the player strike, or you think about the 1982 NFL season when Washington beat Miami in the Super Bowl, but they only played nine of the 16 regular season games, or the 99 Spurs who won the NBA title, but it was a 50-game season instead of an 82-game season. I don't think – I can't remember anybody – when they talk about the Spurs title saying, oh, yeah, but the 99 one, that was only that 50-game season. Or anybody saying, oh, well, when Washington's three Super Bowl wins, that one in 82, that was only a nine-game season. Nobody that I know of mentions it with it. So I think it'll just be absorbed into the regular part of baseball history. And it might be mentioned here or there, but I don't think it's going to be – something that now these are extenuating circumstances because of the pandemic there's no doubt that these are different circumstances but i don't think there'll be any talk of an asterisk for me personally pedro uh, alex rodriguez has made some comments and he was saying that the other day he was asked about the cba expiring in major league baseball for 2021 he answered honestly but never mentioned the word salary cap he says my goal as a broadcaster and more importantly as a fan is to, of the sport is to try to grow our game do you believe so in our lifetime that we will see a salary cap in baseball and what effect would that have on the sport if Major League Baseball was more like the NFL in that regard? I, I do not believe that the players 
will ever give in to a salary cap. So I, I don't believe that. Now, I'm older than you guys, so in my lifetime, I don't think so. In your lifetime, who knows? Um, but uh, I, I, I just think the players have fought so hard to never have a salary cap that I cannot imagine there's a scenario even down the road where the players will say, you know what, it's a good idea to have a salary cap. I, I don't believe that, and I don't see that it has really hurt baseball in any way. Look, a salary cap in the other sports has generally meant a lot of uh, any, anybody can win, let's say. But in baseball, even in the last 10 years, I think we've seen a lot of clubs that you would say, wow, they were in the playoffs and they won a World Series and they, they weren't that type of, of a salary type club. You know, they did it through player development. I think what happens when you have salary caps is you get like what the NBA has where players are just jumping to play together with each other. And I don't know that that would necessarily be a good thing for baseball where you get those super teams, so to speak. Now, of all the guys to say there should be a salary cap, I would think A-Rod would be the last one to say that, Pedro. I mean, come on now. And, and boy, how are guys going to look at him around the ballpark uh, this year when he's doing games uh, knowing that? That's going to be interesting. I mean, they may not have to look at him so much because there is such a different right. vibe to this year. I don't, it's not going to be what we've seen for decades where, you know, reporters walk into the clubhouse and things like that. So I don't believe that that will be necessarily impacted because – it will be such a different year for broadcasting and for reporting on games. But uh, I think we've already seen how players feel about his comments, and uh, current players are definitely voicing their displeasure, let's say, with what uh, Alex said. They'll recognize him. They'll have that big Mr. Medhead if he becomes the uh, part owner of the Nets. They'll know who he is when he comes to the ballpark. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere. 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 Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Also, Tyler, on that trip, on that same trip to uh, mm-hmm. Cincinnati, Abdallah, uh, when he was before he was married, uh, was talking to a young lady, and um, she convinced that young lady that I was his bodyguard. <laughs> Jay Hood, and, the people's bodyguard. Y- yes, and told that young lady that um, that he was the president of Groupon, <laughs> and she believed it. Uh, well, under the hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Are we on the air? No, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> you can hit him with that question. You'll see those guys Sunday, right? Oh yeah, uh-huh. like Abdallah. Yeah, those stories I just told you. You could tell those guys Sunday morning. I think they will uh, verify and uh, give you further information of our trip to Cincinnati a few years ago. Can't wait. Um, where? Uh, what did we have scheduled here? Oh, the Toledo coach. I know, um, you know, I got to get you on as a guest, Tyler, not when you're working uh, on the show as a producer, but sometimes there are times when you're not here that I could use your expertise and your thoughts on college sports. We heard from Feinbaum earlier this week. We had uh, Brad Edwards on last night, Um, but you told me about the Toledo coach uh, out of the MAC uh, Mm -hmm. has COVID-19, correct? Yep, yep, that's right. And this, to me, 
because, again, Toledo, Mac, not the highest profile football. It's not Power 5. So maybe we brush it to the side a little bit, but I think it's starting to maybe get on the radar of some of these guys now. But coaching is that giant fraternity. And what's it going to take when one of the brothers goes down and has COVID-19? And maybe he can come out on the other side and talk about his battle with it. Now, I don't remember if he's showing symptoms or whatnot, but we've heard a number of these professional athletes talk about how this really kicked them in the rear when they did have COVID-19. I mean, Freddie Freeman, I think, is the the perfect example of that, a guy who's usually very fit and, and doesn't really get sick. And he talked about how it was a real struggle and even prayed at nights to to say, don't take me. And when you hear that, and maybe that's what is going to be the big wake-up call for some of these college coaches, because you talked about this last week, how it's just been short-sighted, no dose of reality for a lot of these guys, and maybe this is finally going to be the turning point. And it's sad that this is the way that we might have to do it. Jason Candle is the head coach. He's going to self-isolate for 10 days, the head coach for the University of Toledo Rockets, testing positive for COVID-19. Yeah, so it's just unbelievable. And i got to ask you this, too. Um, what are your New York friends saying about Governor Cuomo's um, edict that it will be no fans at college sports uh, games in New York because that wipes out Syracuse. If there's right. going to be college football, no fans uh, uh, at the Carrier Dome. So Syracuse, Syracuse is the only Power 5 school in New York, but a lot of the same rules that are applying to New York are also applying to New Jersey, so that would wipe out Rutgers to another Power 5 school. And right now, I mean, it's kind of all hands on deck because they don't know. I mean, Syracuse, they're opening up not a new stadium, but they're undergoing major renovations to the Dome right now. They're redoing the roof. They're putting in a new video board and everything. People were excited to go to the Dome this year, even if the football team was going to be subpar. Mm-hmm. And now they're not going to have a chance to go. So they're frustrated in a sense of that. But I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of what we're going to see in the fall, especially with college sports, it's going to be really dicey with how all of this gets sorted out. And, I mean... As much as I'd like to go see a game in that new dome right now, I- I'm I'm more than happy to wait. I like some of these um, smaller conferences just saying, you know, we can't wait on this curve. I like the swack just saying, you know what, we're just laying our plans to just move the, the football to the spring. And I- I'm totally fine with that. You know, like ESPN has – they don't have a swack contract, but they do show some of those games – so in that hole in the schedule, and again, who knows what the schedule looks like for 2021, the whole sports calendar, but the SWAC has their own time now. If they do play in the spring, here they are. I still think they should be on like BET or TV1. That's just me. <laughs> I think they should have like a weekly package. I've said that for years. Um, or on Diddy's channel on uh, Revolt. But that's just me. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's great. Halftime rap sweat. battles. Yeah, right, right. Well, you know what? If the football's bad, at least you've got that. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, like the the bands, the battle, of the bands are the best. Some of the best things about Swack and Miak football. Yep. <laughs> Just telling you, like if you don't like the football, definitely they'll entertain you at halftime. That's for sure. Yeah. And speaking of entertainment, we run out of time here, but I was going to talk about Dr. Dre and I'm sorry about the DMX and Snoop. They are battling on Instagram. We give you a little bit of it, but uh, a little bit too much smoke and too much cursing. <laughs> so, but it's outstanding though uh, they're having a great time on Instagram we're having a great time with you no show tomorrow back with you for the baseball show at 6 on Friday and then Under the Hood at 8 our thanks to Tyler Akeen our thanks to you for listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood